0: write down the process write down what you're doing even if it's experiments even if it's you know rough draft whatever put it down on paper and then you can actually test it evaluate it and optimize it from there
1: Hello and welcome to Analysis Paralysis. Today I'm speaking with Sharag Gupta, who runs a co-working space called Nod Co-Working. He started this because he had a passion to help others and build a, an area where people could come together and leverage each other's resources and networks um, to grow their businesses. I really enjoyed speaking to Sharag about all of this because I and many people that I've talked to in the back of their head have always had kind of an idea of starting an accelerator, an incubator, just some way to help startups and maybe take some you know, percentage of the company. Co-working is a little bit different from that, but you can still help the companies that are going there. So we talked about a lot around how we got started, how we got involved with this. We've seen a few of these pop up actually locally here in Buffalo. And I've always been curious what the business model looks like and how difficult it is to actually you know, pay for the rent and keep a place running and make money from it enjoy the episode. So I kind of want to jump into maybe understanding your background with how you got started in the co-working space and maybe what uh, what what goal you have in general with it, or you know what type of area you, you want to get more involved with, if that's getting more involved with automated or just business process in general or consulting. So you started the co-working space. Was the goal for that to eventually turn it into some type of incubator accelerator, or what was the thing that really drew you to wanting a co-working space? So when I was in uh, Chicago,
0: I was working from other co-working spaces. Uh, when I first started kind of doing independent consulting and things like mm. that. And, and even just going to, to meetups and networking events happened to be at places like 1871 or, uh, yeah. or other kind of incubators and things like that. And so I I remember that some of the startups I was working on um, sure. totally failed. And at the same time, I was loving being in that co-working space environment, despite uh-huh. how the startup was going. <laughs> sure. So I remember telling myself even back then, I was like, one day when I have like, when I'm semi-retired and I have enough money to do whatever I want, I want to open up one of these places and, and build a community like this, especially in in Dallas where I'm from and, and bring that, that vibe and that culture to, to a city, which I really felt, um, could use some of that. And, and I ended up getting, getting the opportunity to do it sooner in life, um, not saying I, I retired when I was 25 or anything, but, um, I had enough at that time to, uh, sort of take some risk on it. And, mm-hmm. and I, I started with a small, probably about 3000 square feet is what I think we started with in 2014. And, uh, now that has grown to about 18,000 square feet, uh, oh, basically wow. expanded within the same building that we started in. And, it's, yeah, it's been a great, it's been a great journey. Um, shout out to uh, to my team at the co-working space. Um, Storm and Matt are holding down the fort right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so what, what does it look like? I guess, so I've had the idea. I think a lot of people, once you start getting involved with startups and doing your own thing, you want some involvement with something along the lines of an incubator, accelerator, um, and, and obviously something like this kind of overlaps it all because typically uh, startups are developed in co-working spaces and sometimes naturally they they start supporting the people inside of the co-working space and all of a sudden now you're kind of an accelerator to some extent. So sure. I've definitely thought about it as well. A few of my friends have as well. That's like something that they want to be involved with. Um, what, is, what does it take to actually kind of get one going and what does your support, like what involvement do you have and what does your day-to-day look like uh, being involved with that? Sure. Yeah, man.
0: Coworking life is awesome. Uh, it's crazy as well. I'd say the, uh, the life of a coworking space operator like myself is, um, it involves a lot of meeting with people, talking to people because, because you're kind of building a community while at the same time you're managing operations for a physical space. Mm. And so I think it's, it's, uh, it's a combination of, you know, you gotta basically hustle 24 seven at the beginning to get that fire started. And I remember early days when I was like, man, I just gotta make some calls. I gotta get whoever I can get friends, friends of friends, whoever to just like come in and hang out at this place. And, and, uh, <laughs> had to, you know, it was like pulling teeth at the beginning. Honestly, it wasn't like we just put up our flag and people started showing up. It took, uh, yeah, it took a lot of calls, emails, growth hacking, as it were, to just kind of start getting people there, and and then once we had a core community of paying members, that's when I feel like I I also started to build a little more um, confidence personally that that I knew what I was doing, and but yeah, like some of the first startups that that joined our space, I really like the credit goes to them because they totally took a chance on joining a space that was new. And, you know, we had shitty Wi-Fi at the beginning and oh, it was, it was a small community. We had, you know, it wasn't like we could say the same sort of promises that we can make today, which are like, join the space and you'll, you know, immediately make valuable connections for your business. You'll find mentors, you'll find talent, you'll get connected with investors if you're looking for that. And today we can offer all that because we're five years into it, and we have about thirty startups there at any given point. But back at the beginning, yeah, it was. Um, I felt like I was doing. Yeah, I was like almost like fake it till you make it kind of yeah. uh, vibe, and I was just trying to sell smoke and mirrors. I felt like at the beginning sure. to uh, to get people there. And the interesting thing I found was like in Dallas, there were actually a few people that were passionate about co-working and they were kind of waiting for such a place to exist. And they ended up becoming our like early adopters and people who to this day still advocate for us in the community, tell their friends about us and, and they're just proponents of the co-working culture. Um, but I'd say 80% of our members in Dallas are probably people that were first exposed to co-working or that culture by coming to our place. And so we've had to do a lot of education in that process um, and just almost coach people on like how to operate from a place that has no, no walls and no cubicles and, mm. and, and is, is an open, open community. So that's, and I guess yeah. like about the day to day of, of it. Yeah. Like I said, I, at the beginning for like the first couple of years, I was running the whole place solo So I'm I'm getting up at seven AM, opening the doors, starting the coffee, and then I've got people coming in for tours starting at nine AM. And whenever I get breaks, I'm I'm on my computer responding to emails, scheduling the next tour, uh, negotiating with vendors to get better internet, better coffee, (laughs) better desks, all that stuff. So that's you you then I would run and then I'd run like meetups and happy hours in the evening. So I'd be like
1: some days, 7 a.m. till 10 p.m., just like wiped out and then do it again the next day. Just using the space to like full capacity whenever possible. Totally. I mean, it, it, it makes sense, right? So you have this, this large overhead and it's just like, how can we get it filled, uh, you know, to either lead to new future customers, people staying there, or just, you know, have events and, and get paid in some way or not even get paid just for some type of marketing in some regard. If you have people going, there, like, oh, there's a cool space. Maybe I should actually work out of here. So I, I'm curious because you had reached out and mentioned on Slack that you were looking for like a CRM for one of your teams. Is this, I guess, a team inside of the co-working space or what is your relationship with a lot of these companies now? Are you actually helping them find software and help them with their business processes or are you just like kind of in general just around there and happy to answer questions?
0: Yeah, I guess it started out as the latter and evolved into the former. Uh, Basically what I mean is as soon as we got past like the two-year point and I was able to start hiring staff and got a little bit of my um, schedule under control, then I was able to be available for people at the co-working space and, and founders who just had questions or they might be looking for a recommendation for a local uh, IP law firm or um, fundraising advisor product management person and, and I was starting to become like a resource for people. Cause I was, I was just there, you know, and people were like, okay, uh um, Chirag knows a lot of people in the Dallas startup community. So maybe he can help us find a, find a resource we're looking for. Hmm. Totally informal and, and wasn't, you know, charging for that advice. It was just, I felt part of my role being, being the owner of the coworking space. And then that kind of evolved into, yeah. I'm kind of formalizing that into a sort of consulting services model and a few of the startups now I've taken advisory board seats with or, uh, small pieces of equity in their company to essentially go out and help them in a more uh, structured way. Oh, cool. And these days I'm mostly specializing in sales operations, consulting for startups. So that's where the, uh, Hmm. CRM questions. Came okay. About and um, yeah, I'm just always looking to find tools that are going to help a startup get from, you know, pre revenue to their first customer or go from a three person team to a 10 person team. So it's, it's an interesting, it's kind of that growing pains phase of a startup. That's where I, I like to get involved and help coach founders through that and yeah, um, connect them with
1: resources So that's that's one of the interesting things that I've learned as well. A lot in my business is kind of figuring out when working with either a small business or a startup, and like what you mentioned, pre-revenue. The needs of a pre-revenue business is different from the needs of maybe a small business that already has one, two, three million a year in revenue. Um, And sometimes you just need a system in place for a startup just to see if their their product, their idea can gain traction. You don't necessarily need to have this rock solid foundation on all the best software. So that's something that I actually struggled with quite a bit when I started working with startups. It was just like they never had money to spend on, I guess, the right solution and the right type of integration automation. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like they it, it makes sense. They don't have money. They just need something that can kind of get them from point A to point B. So do you ever struggle with maybe having the solution fit in mind because you've worked with maybe more successful startups or things that have worked internally for you and they just don't have the resources or the money uh, to, I guess, afford your services or afford the type of software that's needed in your mind for them?
0: Uh, Can you say the last part again? I don't know if I fully got the question.
1: Yeah, just essentially, do you ever run into scenarios at which you're making suggestions to the startups and they either can't afford the services that they really truly need, and then how do you deal with that type of scenario where it's like we don't have money, we don't have any venture funding right now? How do you expect us to get ABC software and you know the, these consulting services and things like that?
0: Oh well, that's the fun part. Okay, now I get what you're asking. That's that's where I feel like you got to get creative with it and hmm. and, and use uh, different. You got to sometimes invent. Whole new models and new new ways of doing things in order to overcome those you know budget barriers or Mm -hmm. whatever's the next barrier to growth. And I feel like, yeah, I was kind of going to say this earlier too, but like I don't have you know an MBA or 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 a degree in 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 that type of stuff. But I feel like operating this co-working space for five years has effectively been like going to business school. Oh yeah, um, specifically for. I don't know, like focusing on, on startups and early stage tech companies. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like just through trial and error, and there's, there's been a lot of startups that are co-working space, probably about 120 now that have come through our space. And probably about 80 of those have totally crashed and burned. And, sure. and those are ones that I might've been um, trying to help out or, or advising. And, and you just learn all the, all those lessons of, what doesn't work, and mm-hmm. I think that's what has made me pretty effective at making making the right connections when I'm working with my clients today is just having had that many um, sort of failures under my belt, and and I think that yeah when when startups are sort of asking for for resources, a lot of times I have to take a step back with them and be like, hey, it's not about you know picking. I think we were talking about. Streak versus copper. And a lot of times startups are like, oh, they see other startups using that and they're like, okay, let's see which one we can get a better discount on. And I'm yeah. like, that's that's cool, but maybe let's take a even a step back and consider that we're pre-revenue. We haven't validated the sales process yet. What you know, we don't even know if we're gonna be um, needing to make calls and, and take meetings to to drive these sales or if we can do it all in an e-commerce way with facebook ads Mm -hmm. and and so i think that's that's what i'm able to do effectively now is coach a startup through validating their assumptions and then going about picking a tool that's going to support that Um, once they've figured out like okay this is a great repeatable process that we can use to to generate sales Uh, and you might find that it's just a simple spreadsheet that the two co-founders share at the beginning and and you don't need a lot of you don't need a paid SaaS tool yet, um, and it's 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 more about customizing the solution for the startup rather than tailoring the startup itself towards the solution, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, essentially figuring out initially what their business process is for sales, I think, is such a major thing that working with family businesses, small businesses, medium businesses, at that point, they already have a sales process. Maybe it's not the most efficient sales process, but at least you can speak to someone and say, you know, what does your sales process look like? What does what does qualifying a customer look like? You know, is that a phone call or is that a meeting or, or what does that consist of? And then you can start building that documentation around there to then figure out how to, you know, maybe organ, better organize their sales process and, and pull in the systems and everything. Whereas the startup, it's like, we haven't even sold someone yet, or, or you know, we ha- we've we sold two people, but those were like referrals. Those were like given to us on a platter because it, like that was not a proper sales process. So it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is the consultative aspect of really vetting them to figure out, like, we need to figure out what our sales process is. What do we think it is? Let's test it. And then when that's, you know, when that works, then we'll say, okay, this is a good first step for our sales process. The sales process is going to change a lot. Uh, it's gonna change probably more now than, than later. But you know, we need to get something on paper tested out so we can start putting some systems into place. So it sounds a lot it, like yeah, yeah. I was gonna say if there's one takeaway from this episode for, for people out there struggling with this, it's
0: like write down the process. Cause mm-hmm. until you have it documented, I feel there's there's no good way to measure it and, and evaluate it. I feel I try to coach all my clients on this. It's like Write down what you're doing, even if it's experiments, even if it's just, you know, rough draft, whatever, put it down on paper and then you can actually test it, evaluate it um, and, and sort of optimize it from there.
1: What's so funny, too, is like what what you were mentioning prior about not going to school and getting an MBA and things like that. And realistically, the stuff in school that they they kind of force you to learn or push into you is like okay. Before you start anything, you need to create a business plan, and did you go through all this stuff that's so like high level? And it's like actually, when you're when you're in a startup, if you're fundraising money and you're really diving into that path and going for VCs, sure, you need some type of rough idea of a plan. But they force you to build like a very, very structured business plan of like, what is the facility you're going to buy? What is the cost of the monthly of, of that facility? You know, how are you going to be spending all of your money in advertising and all these things? And it's like, you don't even really know until you start playing with it. You don't even know who your, your target customer is. You're just guessing. And really, you just need to dive into it so much that I believe so much that the, you know, quote unquote MBA that you've gotten from being in just in it is so much more valuable than getting it from school. Like school, they teach you the hypotheticals of it. I'm, I'm similar in the fact that like everything I learned has been from my businesses and being involved in that and being surrounded with actual business needs of small, medium businesses and startups. That's where you really learn, you know, what, I guess where, where you can supply value and where you can make money. You don't learn that in school at all. Totally,
0: totally agree. Um, and it's like, no, you know, no offense to the... uh for the MBAs who are out there, sure. Like there's, there's other value adds you get from going through oh, yeah. programs like that, definitely. But I think, uh, yeah, man, that that totally lines up
1: with with my experience thus far. Well, so even just I guess like the connecting, the interesting thing that I've heard too from those that have that have gone to school to get their MBA. A lot of it comes down to like, well, I've connected with, you know, Jim and Bob and Danny and, you know, they're going to be working for this company and they, like you start getting these relationships and connections opening up. But to bring us back to the conversation we had right at the beginning, like that's really what the internet has done. The amount of relationships and communities and networking that we've been able to build just because the internet is a thing and we're able to reach out and find these little communities, I think is just, just as valuable, if not more, because you're surrounding yourself not just this location-based area, which is school, but instead you're actually open up to the world, like having, you know, friends in, in different countries that you could communicate with and figure out like, you know, sometimes they're, they're ahead where you're at, or I could speak to someone that's, for example, in LA and I'm in Buffalo, New York. So what place is probably further ahead in the ecosystem of startups, you know, so I can learn from there and then pull it to the Buffalo ecosystem if I want or have clients all across the U.S. Just because you could network everywhere, so I think we're just in a different world. And a lot of what what school teaches you is maybe the way that business used to be, uh, whereas things have just changed and changes so quickly. And even tomorrow, things are going to be different than today. Like things get outdated so quickly as well. Totally, yeah. I feel like
0: on that note, I kind of feel like there's huge, yeah, like the barrier to entry for startups is is. Practically gone at this point. There's so much access to information and different sort of niche communities and networks that it's it's the resources are out there to find find a community, niche community, solve a problem for them, and start making sales. Um, Now I feel that all all it really requires is that the founder has some discipline and is honest with himself or herself that. If they, if you ever feel like you're doing busy work for your startup, just like stop and check yourself because it's probably not the most efficient use of time. And that's, I feel like that's the whole game. Like sometimes I might be like inside of um, getting, you know, stuck in a rabbit hole of of Facebook or Twitter, and I might tell myself I'm going into Twitter to you know, spend half an hour looking for leads based on a new hashtag that I'm searching for. And then I might get, get distracted with some of the content and find myself like, I don't know, watching videos on there or just finding other things personally interesting and just getting lost in it. So it's like, you got to pause right there and be like, okay, what, what was the measured result I was looking to get in this half hour? And Mm -hmm. let me make sure I'm, I'm getting that and then moving to the next thing. Um, so I think that's yeah that's one thing I like about I was just kind of reading your your website here too just about what's what's the most efficient way to to do things as well mm. that comes down to documenting processes but also just being personally disciplined about how yes. how we're spending our time
1: absolutely and sometimes you need to. Have that you know, quote unquote, like reward uh, behind a wall, and that wall is I need to get this, 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 and this done before you reward yourself. Whether that's TV or or maybe just a different piece of the business that you enjoy more. Because I think that's something that you experience too when you're when you're kind of the only person early on in a business. There's a lot of stuff that you don't enjoy doing. For example, I hate. hate hate doing proposals and like massive scope of work contracts and things like that. I would much rather be on a call and talking to someone for two hours, understanding their processes and documenting over that sales aspect and really trying to create things out. But at the end of the day, you need to create the proposal and send it off to someone in order for them to buy from you. So you won't even have that other type of work unless you do that. So you need to kind of Discipline yourself in that sense too, where it's like I enjoy doing this piece of the business more than this, but I need to do this to be able to do the enjoyable piece, and eventually I'll hire out, you know, the the piece that I don't like, and you'll never get there until you get the business. So you really need to focus, and really, I think discipline is a massive, massive aspect to to anything in life, really. Um, something that I'm that I'm curious about. With you and teams that you've worked with, or people that have maybe come up to you and be like, "Hey, I want—I have, I have an idea for a startup. I'm currently at a stable job, and just you know, I, I don't know if I should make the leap or whatever." What would you maybe tell someone that is it feels like that they're stagnant, right? Like they maybe they've saved up a little bit of money, um, but they're they're very risk adverse and they've always been like a stable you know company, yet they kind of want to make this leap. And what would you maybe tell them that they, a should they make the leap? Um, or maybe what do you tell them that they need to have planned out in order to make the leap? Or, you know, is, is it based on age two, uh, responsibilities? What, what kind of goes through your mind when someone asks you that type of question? Sure. I'd say, yeah, I get this question. get this question pretty often.
0: And, well, and you're totally right. I'm, I'm in this conversation just about with every other person that I meet. Um, hmm. uh, Sometimes I like to take credit, too, for, for pushing people over that edge and, and be, being the one to convince them to uh, to take the leap. But, yeah, on a more, like, practical note, I think if someone's in that position, you know, at a stable job, I usually coach them to find, find out, how you know, what it's going to take for them to survive for six months and whatever, you know, just kind of, like bare bones, living expenses they need to meet and, and things like that. And give yourself like a six month window to to go for it full time. Hmm. And uh join a co-working space while you're at it if you if you want to be around a, a community of people who can who can support you in that journey. But I think six months is about the sweet spot for a few things. It'll it'll be enough time to, to validate if there's a market for your thing. It'll be enough time to raise a seed round. It'll be enough time to uh, find a co-founder and and build some semblance of of the of the core founding team and build an MVP. So I think, and and partly I, you know, I've done a lot of these startup weekend events and hackathons participated in um some of them i've i've run and hosted myself and i think that's that's where i've just seen tons and tons of startups go through go through the motions of you know use the business model canvas or the lean startup method or whatever it is to uh to build their mvp and and the the first version of their their pitch deck and so forth Mm -hmm. and so i think and and i also think like six months. It's kind of, I don't know. It's kind of a good, a good way to validate any sort of lifestyle change. And it, and doing a startup is a lifestyle change. I think people should be prepared for that. I was, I was kind of reminded also of the time that I was like, I'm going to become a vegetarian. And I decided to do it for six months. And then I, I did it for six months and, and found that it wasn't going strictly vegetarian. wasn't for me, but it, it gave me a good amount of time to, for my body to adjust to it to learn about new types of ways i need to be cooking new types of ways shopping um, getting used to picking different items on the menu and i'm leaving out and it and it really did come come along with a different lifestyle Um, i found myself hanging out with my vegetarian friends more (laughs) you know little things like that like start to add up to a overall lifestyle change and i think when someone makes the switch to a startup a lot of times they're they're not prepared for, uh, like they might be prepared for the what's going to happen with their nine to five, but they might not expect what's going to happen from five p.m. to midnight, mm. uh, and what's going to happen to their social life, and what's going to happen to their family life, and so on. Um, and I think those are those are the real those are the real things of life that are. That are important. important to consider before making
1: a switch. Which I, I think to a lot of people, that's the appealing aspect of it. Like being able to on a Wednesday, for example, go and visit a buddy in a different state and it not be that big of a deal because, Hey, I could work remotely today. And, and a lot of companies now with stability, um, they, they don't really offer that level of freedom where if you feel like you should be able to go uh, and work remotely that day or say you don't have a massive workload. Just take the day off realistically. If there's if there's not stuff that needs to be done, you know, maybe you work your ass off the day before, the day after, or the week later. I mean, my business is so many ebbs and flows. Sometimes I'm super busy for a week and then the next week it's very relaxed and I only have like 10 hours of actual business work that I need to get done. So I, I think being able to manage and monitor that type of allocation. Whereas when you're at work, the truth of the matter is when you're working for a larger company, you're going to have a lot of time, which you're kind of sitting around doing absolutely nothing. The nice thing about being kind of self-employed and having your own thing, when you have literally nothing going on, you can actually do nothing or do what you want to do, or say that you want to go and play golf or something, you can go and do that. Whereas you can't just up and leave and do that at a general type of work. But like you mentioned, it's a totally different type of lifestyle. That like I probably wouldn't be able to mesh with going to a normal company now, but I feel like I'm very efficient in what I do. Some days I'm not efficient, but I don't need to be efficient. And that's okay. But that's like a learned thing, right? Totally. And dude, even right now, it's like, for
0: me, it's 10 a.m. on the West Coast on a Thursday and and I'm able to uh, take some time with you to, to be on this podcast. And it's not I didn't have to ask my boss for permission. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> um, oh, a great feeling. I think the, um, yeah, the other thing I like about it is just like, I use this metaphor of, I, I guess like playing cards. And I feel like when I'm in this life that I've created, I'm able to use every card that's in my hand. Meaning um, if I was at a corporate job, they might be asking me to use one or two cards out of my hand And the other three skills or sort of passions that I have would just kind of go untapped. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I feel like since I have the the flexibility, like I said, with just how I can manage my time. Like today, for example, I'm in the recording studio with this buddy of mine in San Francisco. And we were in a band together in college uh, called the Aurelia Trio. And we just, you know, we're just messing around, made some music this morning and and caught up in San Francisco. (laughs) Yeah. No big deal. Oh, that's awesome. Um, this podcast and I've got a client call later in the day. Um, and, and it's, it's able to, to flow nicely and I'm able to use all the cards in my hand, whether it's music or, you know, I'm also working on an international peace project now, um, called love thy neighbor. And it's like, I have a team of 25 people all around the world that, uh, that are working on that. So
1: oh, wow. I'm able
0: to, uh, yeah, kind of make, make the impact I want to have in the world and, and not be waiting for, you know, my next like vacation day allocation mm-hmm. to do the things I really want to do. Oh yeah. Able to kind of make you could it do it way.
1: side by side, right? Cause you have, oh. the ti- I think everyone has the time, like realistically 40 hours in a week. Um, you really have more than 40 hours a week from a, the actual job. Oh, yeah. And I, I think the tough totally. thing, though, is when you're doing your own thing, it's always on your mind, though. So like, even if you say, I'm only going to spend 30, 40, 50 hours a week on my startup idea, it's so much more because when you're in the shower, you're thinking about it when before going to bed, you're thinking about it. If you have something going on with the client, you stress about it, it eats away. away you like the level of stress that exists is probably higher than any uh, corporate job that you can get. So it definitely has, you know, drawbacks and downsides. Yeah. But allowing you the freedom to be able to do some of the things that you're talking about, um, I think it's it it outweighs it. I feel like it outweighs it. Uh, maybe my gut and my stomach and my you know anxiety uh, doesn't like it so much, but I feel like it, at the end of the day, it's it's worth it. So you mentioned this this piece. I'm a little bit curious as well. With it, is this like a nonprofit that you're starting, or kind of a, a movement? Like, what is what is the thing that you're working toward with that? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, it's yeah, it's called Love Thy Neighbor we are getting school kids in
0: pairs of neighboring countries to exchange handwritten letters. Oh, cool. Uh, that's yeah, that's the game. And so I started this project in India and Pakistan to kind of help um, with the peace movement in that region of the world.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And as, as other people kind of heard about what we were doing, they were like, Oh, maybe we could use this in other pairs of neighboring countries around the world. And that, mm maybe a, a violent past or just political turbulence. Yeah. Um, so I've got teams now working on this thing in Europe, some in Africa, a little bit in Central America, um, the Middle East as well. So it's, it's been a phenomenal thing to see that, see that project grow and to have a, a team behind that now is, it's super awesome. Um, There's no, yeah, it's, I feel like it's the first thing I've done in a while that has no profit motive. Yeah, right. We're not fundraising. We just literally are advocating for this cause in different countries and talking to schools, talking to teachers, encouraging them to bring this letter writing
1: activity to their uh, English classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's the project. And realistically, like everything that you're saying with that, I've had a few conversations with some friends Uh, lately specifically just around like what kind of happiness is for, you know, what, what actually makes you happy and is what is like the destination of happiness, what that is, or is it more of the shifting thing? Do you ever like hit this moment of like, I'm happy, I'm in bliss and it's, and I've, I've made it, I'm done. And realistically, I think once you kind of have the freedom to do this type of stuff, you see like in the moment, I really feel like I want to help people. And this is my way of being happy in the moment. And, you know, hopefully this thing grows and but maybe it'll shift too. something totally different will come from it. And I think part of having that freedom versus maybe being in more of a structured job is you get to have that little inkling toward what will make you happy and you get to run with it a little bit and you're able to do it and you're able to put the time toward it to see. Is this something actually, you know, itches that or scratches that itch that I kind of have? And will this actually make my life better or not? Even things that you're mentioning, like um, trying out going vegetarian, like trying that stuff out to see if it makes you happier. And at least you gave it a a try to realize, because at least now you can say no. Like, you know, it's not the thing that will change my life that will make me um, in this better state of, of being, at least you kind of give it a try, and you have the discipline to do it. I think a lot of that comes to with like working out. For example, it's maybe easy to do that for a few weeks, but to really see if it makes a life difference for you, you probably need to do it for that six months, build that habit out of it, um, and, and really kind of structure things around it. And see, you know, it, it's not easy, and it's not you know to to do all of this stuff in general. It's not easy to do. So, yeah, uh, yeah, man. For me, that. The international peace project was a challenge for me and
0: something that I was kind of looking inward and saying, "What, you know, why not try to take something on on a global scale mm-hmm. and and just kind of expand myself and 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 grow to be able to see what that's like and, and execute on that level." Mm-hmm. Um, so it started out like that. I was I was kind of just like, in a way, got. I don't want to say bored, but kind of got tired of just working on startup after startup, um, in, in sort of these small niche markets. And I was just like, I want to do something at a national scale or at a global scale. Um, and, and, and push myself to learn new tools, uh, build, build new skills and, and go after that. And this, this project has been, um, Already showing me so much about what I don't know, mm. <laughs> and giving me the opportunity to pick up a lot of new skills and to learn about. Like I'm now learning about international shipping, managing you know teams of people in other countries around the world, and uh, getting. I've got a team of like language experts and translators in the middle of it as well, and, and so it's a whole new type of um, challenge, and so I I love that aspect just feeling the personal growth from sure figuring all these things out but it's yeah like you said it's kind of like that happiness fuel for me at the end of the day I, I, I sort of wake up knowing that you know whatever happened yesterday like in all of my other startups and all my other projects as long as the that piece project took one small step forward um, I'm always like in a really satisfied um, mindset at the end of the day knowing that i'm making
1: some small difference
0: with uh with that effort
1: do you think that you're vetting yourself in some way to in the future do some type of nonprofit or because i know a lot of companies too like they'll and you look at tom shoes for example like they will donate a pair of shoes for every shoe bought um and that this like doing something like this will better allow you to have those connections to allow you to maybe have a i forgot exactly what they call it but a for-profit business that kind of has non-profit aspect to it or just all out going for a non-profit? Like, is that something that you're interested at all in doing or really it's, it's just kind of totally unrelated to it? Um, I'd say it's totally unrelated, but I, I guess I, I
0: also do consider myself to be a, I don't know, philanthropist slash entrepreneur mm-hmm. uh, phil entrepreneur phil entrepreneur sure. <laughs> yeah I don't know. um but it's it's yeah i think that's that's kind of given me a good idea now that i think about it i'm like well if if, if that project does grow and, and and we're able to you know maybe tap into some of the, the for-profit ventures that i have going and allocate a percentage of. Those profits towards supporting this nonprofit effort—that um, might be a logical way to go about it—to sort of sponsor,
1: um, you
0: know, world peace a little bit through the.
1: Through the uh, profit making ventures that that I have going, and you know, it, and it's in a meaningful way. Like you know how that money is being spent, you know the efficiency of it. Yeah. Whereas like right now, if you just donate money to a random nonprofit, I mean, you hear so many different stories of so many different things of you know only twenty percent of what you do- donate actually goes toward the cause, and you know just just various things like that. Whereas at the end of the day, from everyone that I've kind of talked to a lot of people kind of lead toward if I made it big right now, and I had all the money in the world, I would want to have some type of nonprofit and just kind of focus on a cause that I'm passionate about. It seems like naturally, that's just kind of what people want to do. Um, It's their way of kind of giving back and and versus just donating a ton of money to random causes here and there, actually being able to back it and, and really see it and you actually be one of the people making the difference and having control over it. I think that's Maybe that moment, uh, which which makes a lot of sense. I'm not yet even no. there in the mindset um, because I'm still trying to figure out a lot of stuff with my own business and being successful and, and making you know money to get to that point in time. But I, i I'm, It's not a mindset or an idea that has left me in any way. I think it's definitely something that's in the future. You know, you hope to get to that point to be able to do that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, maybe maybe we could have you. Uh, maybe we could team up on something like that in the future too. But I was going to say with this, you know, with this Love Thy Neighbor project and you know, we're having kids write letters to each other, uh, we've kind of come up with the slogan, um, every letter makes a difference. And so I feel like mm, that's kind of tying it back full circle a little bit to my initial story of how I first used the internet to just build another human connection yeah. with someone. I feel like when I say every letter makes a difference, that's kind of what it means to me There's- um, every letter sort of symbolizes uh, a connection being made and across a border and, and that mm. sort of not to like take down all these borders and and burn everything down but but I think to symbolically say like we're all human at the end of the day
1: yeah um, mm. so yeah. No, that's great hey man well I, I really appreciate your time I was like I'd love uh, to hang out in person yeah
0: so it's good to uh yeah get to oh, yeah.
1: this way and Hey, Matt, if you ever find yourself up in, in Toronto, um, or probably, you probably will never really be in Buffalo for any reason, but um, there's a few places around me that, that I happen to be. So uh, definitely feel free to reach out and we'll stay, you know, keep in touch. And I'm sure it's funny, everyone that I've talked to in this group, it's like we should go into business together in some regard, like partner up in some way with something um i think i always have like a
0: retreat i'd be
1: so down yeah oh that would be cool yeah an automated (laughs) retreat yeah uh, (laughs) some destination retreat that'd be awesome yeah man definitely cool hey well it was great uh finally you know talking and it sounds like you, you have a lot of really cool stuff going on so let's definitely keep in touch
0: awesome thank you
1: cool man definitely see ya see ya Thank you for listening to this episode of Analysis Paralysis. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'm super excited to continue the podcast and to bring on more great guests. And I wanted to ask one quick thing. If those of you who are subscribed can shoot me an email at abass at aparalysis.com ap just to let me know why you subscribe, maybe what episodes you've enjoyed the most or what type of content you're most interested in. I would really love to gear this more and more toward those of you who are regularly listening to it. So if you can shoot me an email or just message me on Twitter, Alex H Bass. So thank you so much for listening and I look forward to hearing from you.